Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, January 3rd of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor and an academician, gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is January 7th of 2023. Happy New Year. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And today, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. on Central Time. Our team's working to be faithful to year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew. And during the coming weeks of Epiphany, uh, using the letters identified in the lectionary to create understanding of the Gospel text. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. And here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. <laughs> Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Chunky Wucky Charles from Minnesota. Thank you, Chucky Wucky. And uh, I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. You knew everybody. And uh, I'm going to dive right into the uh, the text for today, uh, we are striking out on an epiphany uh, journey where we're going to look at the gospel lectionaries uh, through the assigned letters. Uh, more on that in a minute. We're going to start with uh, the gospel. I'm going to read from Matthew 3, 13 through 17, uh, from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. Now we'll go to the, the assigned letters. And I'm going to read from Acts 10, 34 through 43, and I'll be using the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every people, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. You know, the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, and after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I'm going to go back uh, quickly and uh, uh, to the first verse of this, which is uh, 34. 
It says in the New Revised Standard Version, then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. I'm going to go to the NIV, the New International Version translation, and read that now. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So a translation challenge of favoritism and partiality that might help with our discussion today. Well, here's our questions. I'm going to do all three in case you're uh, moderating a class or thinking about orders and questions in your discussions with your friends uh, during the week. The first one is, for Bill Hull, it will be coming your way. How do you explain the statement, God shows no partiality, or I would also say no favoritism? What, what purpose does this play in the Acts passage? The second question is, why do you think scholars intentionally place the Acts reading with Matthew 3, 13 through 17. And then finally, uh, a point made in the Acts passage relative to Christ appearing not to all people, but to us. How does this point shape your reading of the Acts and other letters? So those are the three questions, but first you, Bill Hull, how do you explain the statement, God shows no partiality? What, what purpose does this play in the Acts passage? Uh, first of all, thank you for all three questions, and in some ways, Don, what I say in each one somewhat overlaps, um, which I think is the power of your questions. They're not silos. I think there's a whole piece of cloth here. Um, this is, I, I think, uh, granted that we can only in imagination today envision what it was like over 2,000 years ago. But I, I think I will trust that there's some continuity in the human experience. I think it's, it, as I worked on this, Don, I more and more thought how powerful this story is. We can read through it. This passage is part of a, a larger chapter of Cornelius individually being spoken to, Peter individually being spoken to, and the two coming together. Um, I think we probably little understand how very powerful and pivotal this point is in the gospel journey. In, in Acts, we're, we're dealing with the time after Christ left earth. It's the unfolding of the story. And this was a very pivotal moment in Peter's journey. We remember Peter in the Gospels as brash, as a kind of self-appointed leader among the disciples, making promises he didn't keep. Um, and he is on a journey. And this is, on one level, Don, of two people, Peter and Cornelius, but it culminates five chapters later in Acts, in chapter 15, in the famous Jerusalem Council that radically changed for Jewish followers of Christ the accepted boundaries between them, them and Gentile followers of Jesus Christ. The issue specifically was requiring male Gentile converts to Christianity to be circumcised, and the council said no, that 
that no longer is going to be required. That was a radical change in various commentaries that I read, especially more current ones on this passage, talk about how existential this is for us today when we are still, even as people of faith, at, at times dividing ourselves over who's in and who's out and the requirements we want to make for being acceptable. Um, and the no partiality um, on God's part, this says God shows no partiality. It doesn't say we don't. It says God doesn't. It required a profound change of perspective and behavior on the part of these two people and the larger church. And in a sense, the rest of the book of Acts is a surprising and challenging expanding of this change as the message of Christ was carried to more and more areas and countries and people. And I want to read um, a brief quote from the Connections Commentary uh, by a scholar named Stephen uh, Ferris. Acts shows us that the conversion of the he, he talks about how not only individuals need to be converted, but the church needs to be converted. And he sees this as the beginning of a conversion process by the larger church. Acts shows us that the conversion of the church to a new sense of itself and a new sense of mission was not easy. It was not easy to reach out to Gentiles. They were different, after all, and it is always difficult to reach out to those who are different. The teachings of transition are manifest even at the distance of two millennia. They did get through their crisis, and perhaps with God's good aid, so will we. With God's aid, so will we. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Charles Willard, what are your thoughts? None right now. Thank you. Sarah Mickelson. You're welcome. I think we have, well, I know we have a new confession, Peter. So if you think about this in light of his first confession, um, you know, he boldly says, you're the son of God. And, and in the same breath, he also says, don't go to Jerusalem. So I think we have a very human main character in this story. And so I, I think this is a good new confession from Peter. I think God has revealed to him that God alone is the source of salvation and that only God chooses what is acceptable. Um, not the church, not those in power within the system, but God alone. I think that's a primary epiphany, if there is such a thing here. Um, and that God expresses his love and concern to who God wants to. And God chooses all people. God challenges and changes Peter's mind about who God loves and will welcome and is determined to redeem. It gives me pause and asks me to see with new eyes how God is moving through my world. Where are those people with whom I might be disassociated for some reason? 
that God is working toward redemption? And how how do I, as a part of the, the, the followers of Christ movement and, and the kingdom of God here and now, how do I respond and assist? So I think there's some really interesting um, opportunities for um, us as modern Christians to look at this passage. Thank you. I, I was excited. Uh, it was just uh, an afterthought that I picked up the NIV and saw favoritism versus partiality. Those are uh, very different wor- words. I would I kind of put a bracket around both of them that I needed both of those translations. I, I like partiality because it suggests pieces, um, the you know, chopping off partial you know, as part of the word I, I, it, versus the whole. I like that. And that with this this pairing of the letter with the gospel, there's this I get this sense of constant unification coming together, coming together. That's just filled with surprises. Uh, you know, generations and generations ago, the commentator Matthew Henry wrote that acceptance cannot be obtained on any other ground than that of the covenant of mercy through the atonement of Christ. But wherever true religion is found, God will accept it without regard to names or sects. I thought that was especially well put in contemporary, almost to the point where if we can't put this favoritism challenge, this partiality, eliminating Mm -hmm. the into current language, I would think I'm lacking understanding. Uh, So I, I like this, you know, uh, true religion is found, God will accept it without regarding names or sects. Uh, I also want to read just briefly from uh, what uh, uh, Matt Skinner wrote in 2008, March 23rd. I'm just going to do a few quotes here because it puts it in the context of both the gospel, I think, and what's leading up to this uh, sermon from Peter. Quote, Peter begins his message in verse 34, having just navigated a surprising set of circumstances which finally convinced him that his previous assumptions about God were no longer valid. The whole sermon proceeds from what is a new confession. God shows no partiality. This does not describe God as indifferent or detached. Peter means that God does not play favorites among people. But positively, God has concern for all humanity and welcomes all people. That's the end of that quote. I am excited uh, this year about the connection with the gospel because there's this constant surprise. And, you know, remember, and some of you uh, listening in uh, who are in Tampa Bay may remember that uh, John Debevoise, who's the senior pastor at Palmacy of Presbyterian Church, uh, the church which actually makes this podcast possible, preached on this Acts passage on an Easter Sunday that landed on April Fool's Day. And he embraced it. He embraced it because April Fool's is about reversals and surprise. And there's this living, constant reversal and surprise that's here. I think, folks, if if we just read the Acts passage without the gospel and, and just took on Acts, it might become legalistic in some ways. It'll be lost in time. 
It's got, you know, it's got issues in terms of policies and things like that. It becomes really distant. But the point is, and I think what Skinner's saying is there's this surprise that, you know, there's a change of mind uh, of each follower of Christ as they move forward. Uh, let's get to the next question. And Sarah, this will come to you. And I'll just make it simple. Why, why does the lectionary pair act with the Matthew gospel passage? Again, this is an opinion, a fact, um, but my perspective allowed me some thought around um, Jesus went to John. Peter goes to Cornelius, his family and friends. Jesus goes to the socially unacceptable wild man in the wilderness for the anointing baptism that's going to begin his ministry. Not to those who felt themselves sanctified in the temple. In a parallel motion, Peter goes to Cornelius and his family who are deemed Gentile and outside the acceptability circle of the Jewish tradition. Peter moves with the Spirit as a direct result and stands as a witness to Jesus' ministry. By this action, the family of Christ's followers expands dynamically to include Gentiles and eventually us. So I see this as an interesting moment of, have you ever described something as being a delta in a particular behavior or a particular story or problem? That the delta is where, I have a dog with me today, um, the delta is where the change occurs or when emotion expands the process. So I think this is a delta in, in the life of the young church that brings us into the story. Um, just as much as the baptism was a delta in Jesus' ministry. Thank you. Bill Holt, why, why did the lectionary committee put these together? First of all, Sarah, I'll do some more study afterwards. You just expanded my understanding of the word delta. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I believe I understand what you were saying and would agree. Uh, Don... The more I read this, the more I think there is a clear bridge between these two passages. And as I said in the pre-recording time, a, an important principle of Reformed biblical interpretation is we read any scripture in the light of other scriptures and all of scripture. So this is a good example of that. I think uh, the Matthew passage powerfully illustrates the human and practical nature of Christ's life, ministry, and resurrection. In light of Christ being risen, we see more clearly how God sees all people. And Peter is beginning, I, I think I'm somewhat echoing what I understood you to say, Don. Peter is beginning to understand a, a broader vision of God. Back in the 1960s, when I was in seminary, the God is Dead movement gained some prominence, and I heard in person several of the prominent proponents of that. There was a book that came out, my memory is, it was written by a French scholar, and the English title was Unless God Dies. The translator 
in his preface said, that's a misleading translation into English. What is, was really intended, unless my image of God dies, it, it's a powerful little book, and it, it really set my mind to working in dealing with how much we all create our own image of God. For me, growing up in the segregated South, where I did not, growing up here, segregation questioned. It was just accepted and getting into college and my mind expanding and coming to see it as an evil uh, institution uh, and seeing the painful struggle this nation went through. And we are going through. We are not there yet. Um, reminds me of how powerful this whole narrative is. And presumably in Matthew 3, the people were mainly Jewish. We are told they came from Jerusalem and the area. And at least the focus in Matthew is on one faithful Jewish person, John the Baptizer, ministering to another faithful Jewish person, Jesus Christ. And linking this to Acts 10 reflects the ministry, the expansion of Jesus' ministry to all persons, Jewish and Gentile. We may remember initially Jesus was serving, ministering to the Jewish population, and that later expanded. And the narrative in Matthew 3 then sets the stage for what is to follow in all of Acts, reminding us that today God is working his purpose out. In the pre-recording, we were having some fun quoting a part of another hymn. God is Present tense, present tense, 2023, God is working his purpose out. And the struggle is who is in and who is out. That is very much a struggle for us today. Some months ago, I was out shopping. Middle of the afternoon, I wanted a cup of coffee. I saw a coffee shop that I'd never heard of. I went in got a cup of coffee, and was surprised to see every staff member wearing a T-shirt that said, no human is illegal. I sought out the manager and gently said, tell me about this. What's the journey? And a portion of their proceeds every day went to support people who were considered aliens, um, and foreigners, and I said, how has it gone wearing that shirt? And he said, we've lost some customers, but we've gained others. And I said, well, you've gained one in me. No human is illegal. Thank you for the question, Don. Thank you. Charles Willard, why, why do you think the committee connected this Matthew piece to this Acts piece? I'm still puzzled. I mean, I'm puzzled with these connections. I'm puzzled with this conversation. And I think I'm puzzled with me. The, I better leave it as that for now. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and, and I'll take a crack at it, too. First of all, it's referenced there, so why not? <laughs> it is referenced. So 
There you go. As we go through this journey of using letters to look at the gospel in the coming weeks, we want this was the easy one, I think, in some ways, because it actually references the baptism. So there you go. And uh, I think it's an encouragement to look back. But I think, I think the other reason, and this is just my own journey with the Acts letter this week, is I haven't been in Acts in a long time. How about like 20 years or 30 years since I've really delved into it? And I needed the gospel passage for the Acts piece to come alive. I'll just, on a personal level, the Acts and the letters can be quite dead to me um, just because they're so vested in time in the individual. And the Gospels have a different, you know, just because of the way I was raised, the Gospels seem to be eternal. And isn't that strange? Where it's really meant to be the other way around. And uh, and now it's coming to me. That this maybe it's part of my own growing up. Maybe I'm finally growing up, and I can see that the this this sermon especially, and this is a sermon I think that we're reading, uh, is about yeah. There may be memory. There may be something written down. We are referencing the baptism of Christ in this sermon, but there's this personal responsibility that comes along with it. You know that that it, it's personal. And the letters are, are carrying that through, that uh, we have responsibility because we are all witnesses. And uh, today, we will be witnesses to the work of the Spirit. And we I'll make it personal. I think if I think about that today, it's just being a witness uh, to what the Spirit is doing. And I, I'm speaking with just love. Uh, and, and encountering new people, with the actions filled with new people, if I'm open to that, if I recognize there's no partiality or favoritism, then I will change today. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting epiphany that the the eternal the eternal Creator will be present today? It's an interesting promise in that. So I think they're paired in that way uh, to highlight the, the the individual and the whole at one time. Well, let me go to the uh, final question. And, Sarah, I'm going to come back to you to start this one, if you would, please. Just bring it up. Um, a point is made in Acts relative to Christ appearing not to all people, I'll put in quotations, but to us, those that were with him. How does this point shape your reading of Acts and other letters? Not to all people, but to us. What do you think, Sarah? Okay, so I'm going to speak again in parallel because I think that's the other piece of this puzzle is um, looking at the gospel through the letter and then applying it to my perspective or where we are now, kind of a modern perspective. So for those that traveled with Jesus, they were selected to be his followers and also the witnesses for him. Um, I will make you fishers of men. I'm hearing that language in my head around Peter. And God needs Peter and those who hear him to move the gospel forward. God insists that neither Peter or Paul, as the letters play out, um, nor us play gatekeepers for the gospel. We are not to be the ones that make decisions about whether or not you get to hear the gospel. 
Um, and I think that's the, the responsibility or the accountability that comes with being or bearing witness, is we have to be truth-tellers. We have to be forthright in our pursuit of Christ, and we have to be willing to be teachable. I think that's the important bit here, that that we are all being led toward something, and none of us is uh, the, pr- the premier provider of perspective, that God alone does that, and that we get to bear witness to it and go, yes, that resonates with me. So that's kind of where I found myself um, looking at this particular question. Thank you. I, I, I'm wondering if uh, this surprise, I'm using that now with Peter in the sermon, what's, what they're experiencing is uh, the temptation to only speak of the past. It is finished. It is settled. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, this, this is happening now. Uh, now as in the time of Peter's sermon and now in our time, that we don't just speak to the past. We need the letter to make what's happening with the baptism of Jesus tangible to us. Otherwise, it's a historical document. Uh, and it's, it's so much more than that. That Christ is still coming to Peter. I, yeah, like I'm coming to you and I'm going, the Christ of coming and going. Christ is still coming. Christ is still coming. You know, in a, way, in a sense, it is finished, but he's still coming. He's still coming. And, uh, and I think there's a surprise in Peter in this sermon. And as part of that, I'm wondering if the best expression of this surprise is confessional. And that we see that through the letters, see it with Paul a great deal. Uh, confessional, which is, I am astonished. <laughs> and I think that's here. You know, I'm thinking back to the baptism of Christ, but now I understand. Now my head's turning around. Now I'm turning, now I see it. And, and the center of that seems to be what he begins with, at least in this, pa- this passage, which is the revelation of personal bias, partiality, and favoritism. That that might be an underlying confession here, which is I was partial to my experience with Jesus back in history years ago that there was actually a partiality with his walk with Jesus. He thought he had it right. I was with him. But he needs the fellowship, which seems to be changing every day. It's growing. He's in a household. He's getting the sermon. It's changing. He's waking up. He's still waking up. Christ is still coming to him over time. And I, and I got this sense of a confessional component here, which is for me to come in my heart and say, I don't want to throw around words like institutional racism without understanding what's there is the promise of fellowship and the whole, what we can do for each other. I don't want to talk about systemic racism and bias. That's very technical words. Maybe he was technical and now the world is coming to him and he sees all the promise and opportunity that's in front of him. Boy, Boy, does the gospel come alive now looking through this letter. Bill Holt, what do you think? 
I think what I will say builds on that. I'll hearken back to my reference to reading Scripture in the light of Scripture. I think we need within this passage to read Scripture in the light of Scripture. You're hearkening to verse 41, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. But we keep reading, and we get to verse 43. All the prophets, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, how to reconcile that, I don't know, other than that, um, at least initially, Christ appeared to, uh, in, in some ways, a fairly limited number of people. It began to expand in the axis about how it spread to, to other nations. So we've we got to listen to both uh, verses. And again, the book of Acts is not just about Peter's journey. We remember Saul, who became Paul. Saul, who hated Christians so much, that he had official sanction to murder Christians. He held the coat of those who stoned Stephen. Um, there's a whole, again, how can we possibly understand what must have been very painful for Paul? If I remember right, after that conversion, he spent, three years in the desert. I'd have to double check that. It took him a while. My fantasy is his world was turned so upside down. I remember the first couple of years in college, not just over the issue of segregation. My head was spinning. My world got enlarged. There were 40 kids in my high school graduating class, just to give you a little sense <laughs> and and I appreciate the education that I got. But there was a much bigger world out there. And there were times I felt like, it, does anything I grew up believing hold? <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's about everyone being offered that opportunity. And we remember that Jesus ended his ministry on earth commanding his followers to go into all the world. Now, again, I want to read from the connections, and this time from Matt Skinner. Uh, for those who go to the Working Preacher, they will recognize Matt Skinner as a biblical scholar at Luther Seminary who writes commentaries and participates in their uh, lectionary blogs. And I will explain why this quote is so important. He ends his article, Peter in this passage shows no interest in bullying or humiliating Cornelius and his associates. Rather, Peter's efforts concentrate on welcome and embrace. Welcome and embrace. In this, he imitates the ministry and message of the Lord of all himself. Quick story about not bullying. And, and frankly, I felt 
judged a bit when I read that because my anger <laughs> toward Christian nationalists and um, that kind of thing is is a struggle. Some years ago, through a set of particular circumstances, I worked with somebody to help people in need, and at some point he chose to share with me that he had been a member of the Klan, Ku Klux Klan. And so, of course, I asked him, tell me about the journey. He started going to a church because of the senior pastor's passion for sports. He, he just went because he liked the guy. He said Sunday after Sunday, this conservative evangelical pastor preached the love of God for every person. He said, I got so angry at times, I swore I'd never go back, but I kept being drawn back. And slowly, 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 painfully, I came to believe that I was wrong. And that change, he told me, cost him his family and friends, threats of violence that continued some years after his change. He wasn't bullied or coerced. The Holy Spirit worked through this one pastor, who, by the way, did not know this guy was in the clan. I find some hope in that, and I think I, I not I, think, I appreciate Matt Skinner's reminding us that our tone matters. And I I will end with these two words: It's about welcome. And embrace. Thank you, Bill. Charles, coming to you in a second. I just you reminded me of something that I wanted to to raise uh, that the favoritism and partiality, because we all have it. It's kind of a negative gift. Uh, I'm filled with it. I'm filled with favoritisms and partialities. And the ability every day to confront that and to, you know, whether we say we're telling stories about it, talking about it, we're confronting it, we're confessing it. I think that's, that's, that's where the, 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 the change uh, can exist. Um, and I think it goes to the scripture. And what I've experienced this week, which is I've been very partial. What I read, I'm partial to certain scriptures. I turn away from things. I've turned away from Acts for a long time. I've been partial. Nope, I'll take Luke. Thank you very much. Well, Luke and Acts are the same book. What's wrong with it? So I'm partial even what I read. I'm partial to what I want to talk about. Uh, and so I've tried to make it it's really simple uh, that this is just right at our feet every day, uh, at least for me, if I'm willing to talk about it, admit that I'm filled with bias and partiality. Charles Willard, you get to wrap it up. What are your thoughts about this? <clears throat> My thoughts about this is that it's been a very interesting process to see how this group manages to or doesn't uh, ma manage to deal with these two sets of scripture. Uh, and I'm I'm going to be interested in seeing how uh, I would. It'd be nice if you know how pastors and others who might be listening to this podcast 
benefited from the fact that uh, they're going to say, well, wh- what was what was your text? And we're going to say, well, it was these, the person is going to say, well, it was these two texts. And then there's going to be a puzzle. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that because this, this particular group of four people, um, I include myself in this menagerie, uh, this group of four people have dealt with a, a text, uh, two texts, and in their usual uh, in-gathering way, uh, move all over the place. And it would be hard to pick a sermon text out of this unless you just close your eyes and spun the wheel and Took a look where you landed once. Once the once the the disc stopped spinning, it's it's been a it's been a good a good process, and I just I, my 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 own sense of it has been trying to assess exactly how pastors who and others who listen to what we have to say actually do uh, with what we what we share um, it's, it's, it would be interesting I don't know if we'll ever know it but it will be an interesting process of finding out how people benefited from this or thought they did thank you I agree well and uh, if you ever want to communicate with us we're at lectionary call in at palmacia.org Lectionary call in at palmacia.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Palmacia Presbyterian Church, Tampa, Florida, at 3501 West San Jose Street, makes this podcast possible. And you can find more information about them at palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. Check out that site for great sermons, discussions, disagreements, outstanding music, opportunity to take communion, prayer, and reflections. Uh, I do, and I I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I go to that site. Uh, And then just to set the stage for the weeks to come, we're going to continue to examine uh, the Gospel Lectionary with and through the dimension of letters, and those are the letters in the lectionary as well. So heads up for the coming three weeks, we'll look at the Gospels through 1 Corinthians. And in those three weeks, we'll be looking at Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 through 31. And then we'll divide those up into thirds. So 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 31 for the next three weeks. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.